there is a stigma associated with money and equating it to burnout. So how much more of it can really make a physician happier? Let's find out. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to a show that is dedicated to you and your finances. Part of the mission is to approach money from all different angles, including one that impacts your inclination to just be happy. But money sometimes has the opposite effect, doesn't it? When you maybe have so much of it, you don't know what to do. That'd be a nice feeling to have. But for physicians, no matter how brilliant you are, money can turn against you if you let it. And how much money is too much? Can making more money lead to an increased experience of stress and burnout? Or could it actually make physicians happier? Well, who better to talk through this than one of my favorite physician bloggers, the physician philosopher. He has a really unique perspective on this topic, and I know all of you will find it fascinating. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the show, and let's jump right in. Physician philosopher, or TPP for short, thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you here. I appreciate you having me. I've been really looking forward to this. Absolutely. Well, like I told you offline here, your blog is one of my favorite blogs that I actually do read because you have such a unique perspective on things. And you just wrote an article that I think fits really well with this. And I'll make sure to link it in the show notes, but it's around, will more money make us happier? So I think it's fascinating, you know, working with physicians, I think it's a fascinating relationship that they have with money and how it really influences their approach to life. And so I just want to dive in. So how do you think this relates? And do you actually think money will make us happier or more money, I should say? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And you know, I think it's an important question because money really only makes sense when it has perspective, You know, when the right perspective is brought to it. I spent a lot of time talking about philosophy or perspectives on money on my website. And you know, it really kind of came up when I started thinking about the kinder questions, which I recently wrote about. And, you know, those are incredibly important for just deciding about how your life should be designed. And so it brought me up the idea of, you know, will more money make you happier? Because the problem with medicine is that we have this long journey and it's a very unique situation where you go from, you know, making the average salary in the country to making, you know, multiples of that overnight. And so as soon as that happens, it's like Pandora's box is open to us. And we now have the opportunity to spend a lot of money or to use it to build wealth or to give it to charity or our church or to do whatever our heart desires. And so at that point, it really becomes important to ask whether, you know, this increase in money is going to make us happier. And if it does or doesn't, where we should be spending that money for it to be used intentionally. So, you know, I think the post goes into it a good bit. But no, I, I think that after a certain point, once your essential needs are met, money is unlikely to make you happier unless it's spent on specific things. And we can probably dive into that a little bit later, but the end result is that no, above a certain amount, money is not going to make you happier. Yeah. So you mentioned a few things. So one is the, the kinder questions and that's the George kinder questions. I mean, he's got the registered life planner, which I actually happen to be one and I'm fascinated with all of his research, but those questions, I actually answered those three questions with my wife on a show last December, but in theory or in short, I should say, 
the first question is if basically money were no object, would you change your life? And if so, how would you change it? You know, that's a really interesting question when you think high level, like, well, now you're just, you're given the keys to the kingdom, right? You've got Warren Buffett's money. What do you do? Right. Um, the second question, I'm just doing a quick recap here for everyone is not assuming unlimited wealth, but if your doctor was to tell you that you have five to 10 years left to live, you'll have no notice of your death. So you could die on the first year, the fifth year, or the last day of the 10th year, you will not feel sick at all, but you'll have no notice. What would you do? Would you change your life? And then the third question, which is a really tough question for people, but the third question is, your doctor tells you that you have 24 hours left to live. Thinking back on your life, what did you miss? What did you not get to do? Who'd you not get to be? What did you not get to experience? It's not talking about in that 24 hours, what would you do with that 24 hours? It's actually asking you to reflect on your life. So I love that you brought it up. Those are the three questions. And like I said, my wife and I talked about those last December in 2017. So you can go back and check out that show for anyone that's interested in hearing that. One of the things that I think is interesting, and I've seen it in a number of places, but you actually highlighted this, was physicians felt that the number one solution to decrease burnout was to make more money. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. I, part of it's sad to me because it's notorious like physicians just manage money poorly which hopefully everyone here learning and listening is not going to be doing some of these mistakes. But why do you think as a physician that that's the case? I think that there are a couple of reasons. I mean, honestly, the biggest is that money for most people feels like the one thing that they have a say over, particularly for physicians, you know, 42% of physicians are burned out and, you know, some specialties as high as almost 50 when they're asked all these questions, I found it really interesting too. What burns you out at work? And like, oh, well, you know, my lack of autonomy or the administration not supporting me or the electronic medical record system, you know, or decreasing patient satisfaction and in insurance companies. There are all these answers and most of those are not in our control. And so one way that physicians look at this and say, well, you know, what would make me happier is that if I just got paid a little bit more, you know, if I got paid a little bit more, that would probably help me deal with these things better which of course is nonsense because most physicians, like you mentioned, are terrible with money. And so that money's not going to be put towards, you know, things that are actually going to make a difference. And they're probably just going to be spent on things that increase our debt and make the situation worse. So I think that money comes up because it's something that most physicians feel like they can control if it were given to them, but it's a dilemma because it's not really true. Yeah. I'm trying to think back. I know a little bit, and I did some prep work for our show here on, you know, going back on my psychology class here um, <laughs> in school, but there's intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And the extrinsic one is the carrot and the stick mentality, which I, f I feel, and this is horrible, but I feel like I can somewhat say this, even though I'm slightly an outsider, because my wife and I, we met freshman year of college, you know, went through med school, three years residency, three years fellowship. So I feel like that physicians have this massive carrot and stick concept, right? I just got to get into the best medical school. Now I just got to get into a top residency. Now I got to go to to fellowship. Okay, I'm finally done. Now what do I do? So there's that motivation that comes in into play. And then there's the other side of this, which I think you did touch on, was essentially you want autonomy and purpose and essentially mastery, right? Like working on something that's challenging. And when these things aren't present, 
and it wasn't maybe necessarily what you thought of, then you maybe aren't as happy. So money comes in to replace that. And I think it's just a, a very interesting way to view it because I, I wouldn't necessarily think that that would have worked. But again, like I just, I see all sorts of relationships with money as I work with clients. You know, it's like working harder to make yourself more successful doesn't ultimately make you happier. How much do you think people need in order to feel happy? Well, you know, I think that the two studies that people, you know, talk about the most, the number seems to be somewhere between $75,000 and $90,000 a year. And above that, there's not really a noticeable difference in terms of long-term sustained joy or happiness. And the other one that people like to talk about is that, I can't remember the source for this one, but the idea that pretty much everybody, no matter what their income level is, thinks that if they earned 20 to 25% more than they currently do, that that'd be the magic number. And so I find that interesting because huh. you know it doesn't matter whether you're making $50,000 a year, you're making 500. Everyone pretty much says, well, you know, if I just had 20% more, it'd probably make a huge difference. And it's an interesting thing because, you know, the reason that most physicians feel this way is because they make these just drastic and terrible financial mistakes when they finish training and they inflate their lifestyle. And so that's why they feel the need to have this giant number that's well above $75,000 or $90,000 is because they inflate that lifestyle to a point where they now need that money to live paycheck to paycheck despite earning hundreds of thousands of dollars annually, you know, and the phenomenon is the same that you see in the NFL or the NBA with professional athletes. And so it's, it's really a, it's a human problem. It's not a doctor problem. We just happen to be fantastic examples of it. That's the whole behavioral finance piece, right? Associating money equals happiness. I actually thought it was funny. I, I went through and I was, again, as I was thinking about having you on here, I just put in Google money and 4 billion hits popped up. Wow. And I was like, okay, let's put in happy and 6 billion hits in there. So I'm like, okay, and I didn't do money and happy and all sorts of different combinations. I'd be here all day. But uh, <laughs> you know, I was trying to figure out, are people Googling this? Is this like what other people are thinking on it? You know, to come back to some of the mistakes that we see it, is the lifestyle creep is very real. And there's multitude of mistakes that contribute to that. It's not just like one thing. Oh, I bought a house and now I'm screwed. And right. I live to it. It's, I bought a house. I bought the, you know, the Tesla. We now all of a sudden eat out a lot more. You know, we're taking much bigger vacations. I now have more expensive daycare or, you know, now we have a nanny full time and a maid and a cook and, you know, you keep going with it. But so between 75 and 90,000, and I'm just kind of putting this into perspective, like the median income in the U.S. is about 60,000. So people are, again, 20% right there, right? Like if yep. they just had that, that extra 20, but physicians are different. And if they're mm -hmm. earning, let's call it 200,000 well-paid pediatrician. They are way over that, but they don't necessarily feel that. So let's think, are there a couple things that we could at least help them work through? Or, you know, I don't want to call them answers per se, but a couple of things that they could work through to maybe decide, Hey, how could I be more happy with what we have? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question. So I think that to go back to the lifestyle inflation piece first, one of the tools that I teach all my residents um, that work with, and I talk about it on my site too, is the 10% rule. The idea that whatever increase in post-tax take-home pay that you notice after training, you take 10% of that and you spend it on whatever your heart desires. I'm not going to put any constraints on it at all. And in fact, I will in true transparency admit that I financed a car with it, which is a terrible financial decision, but I'm a car guy. I like cars. So okay. I took 10% and 
I financed a car and bought a cheap country club membership so that my little girl and I could play golf. And then the other 90% went towards building wealth. And so I felt like when I finished that I was living this you know, dream lifestyle with this new car and my golf experience, because those are the things that I loved. I love experiencing life with my family. And so playing golf with my little girl is just what I look forward to. It's really what gets me going through the week. And so that 10% is what allowed me to do that. And then I'd spent the other 90% on destroying my debt. I'm paying off $200,000 in 20 months in student loans. And we lived on 20 to 30% of our income. You know, and if you think about it that way, you're like, oh man, I'm really limiting myself. But if you look at it in the positive light that, hey, I get to spend 10% of any bonus, increase in pay, windfall money that you get and really just enjoy it, then you naturally feel like, oh wow, my lifestyle is greatly improved from training. And yet you're still just smashing your, you know, your financial goals. So that's one tool that I kind of harp on. And I felt like it's been really, really helpful for both my wife and me uh, and something that she could get behind as well. So let's look at that really quick and let's just use some real basic math here. 50 K is let's say what the resident earns. Now they're an attendee and they're making 200 K. The difference in that's 150,000. So you're saying to have 15,000 go to this slush fund of happiness. I think you could do it that way. Or, you know, the numbers that I throw up on my site, because I'm pretty transparent about the stuff is that as a fellow in a non-accredited fellowship, I earned about $5,000 a month. And then as a, an attending, I started earning around 16,000 post-tax a month. So it, it ended up being around $10,000 difference. And so I spent $1,000 of that every month, you know, whatever I wanted. And actually it only ended up being eight or $900, but it still felt like this huge change. And then I put the other, you know, $9,000 towards the things that I needed to be accomplishing, like paying down my debt. So my student loan, my monthly payment was $6,000 and I was contributing to my, you know, maxing out my four through B into a backdoor Roth and the other things that I wanted to accomplish while I did that. And so I use post-tax numbers, but you certainly could use pre-tax numbers. I think as long as just like this, you know, this original article we were talking about, as long as you're doing things intentionally and with perspective and not just haphazardly throwing money at things that you're not thinking about, I can get behind pretty much anything as long as it's a lot towards what you should be and a little bit towards enjoying it. Yeah. So what's fascinating to me is apparently I'm kind because I tell I tell clients and pretty much anyone else who asks, like, give yourself like a 50% raise. So I look at yeah. it as like you're making 60, you're now making 90 equivalent, which, you know, that's like 30K gross. And when it boils down to it, I'm giving a much more than eight or 900 bucks more to do that. Not even depending on what your field or specialty is. You know, here we, we use the 50 and 200,000 to make 150,000 or 15K, which is about maybe a little less than a thousand bucks, which is pretty close to the numbers you're using. I'm looking at it, you know, and saying there's plenty of evidence that says that spending money on life experiences, things that- Right. Exactly that, actually. That life experience, rather than material things, will make you happier. Now, granted, you're a car guy, right? So that was technically material, but I think that there's a lot of emotion behind it because you love cars, I'm assuming, because you said you're a car guy. I'm not a car guy. So right. me going out and buying a Tesla, which I desperately want to do because I think they're fascinating cars. I just, I love everything and the concept about them, but I can't do it. I just can't go pull the trigger. So this is kind of like my pie in the sky. If money were no object, the Model X and I would be best friends. Now, keep in mind, I work from home. I have no reason to have a $100,000 car. I will never buy a $100,000 car, but it's just fun to always kind of dream, I think. But yeah, I think the life experience and pushing it towards there 
versus material. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I definitely do. And, and the studies that are out there would support exactly what you're saying. And I do think that experiences are much more valuable and money well spent than compared to things, whether it's, you know, cars or stuff or houses or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, you buy a, a nicer car and it still has a steering wheel and still gets you from A to B, you know, safely and efficiently that's accomplishing your goal. It's probably not going to make you any happier. And so even, even despite having done that, you know, I would still agree with that. And, you know, I think that I would be perfectly happy driving a five or $10,000 beater as long as it didn't break down and got me to where I wanted to go and had a stereo so I could listen to music and podcasts. You know, and so I definitely agree with that, you know, but I will say that it's going to be different for everybody. And so I don't like to, you know, pigeonhole people and tell them exactly what they need to spend their money on. I do like to encourage them to spend it towards experiences because, you know, that's what you're going to look back on and build memories with. And, you know, it's kind of like, I really enjoyed listening to that podcast with you and your wife that you, you mentioned earlier, you know, and just kind of figuring out, you know, what your different perspectives were on what you wanted to accomplish in life and fun things you look forward to. And, trips you might not take if you didn't think about it. And in that conversation, you guys alluded to this, but it's just about building memories. And so that's one reason why part of my money went towards you know the golf is that I, that's a thing. I'm spending money on a thing, but I get to spend two to four hours with my seven-year-old little girl every time I do that. You know, And there's no cell phones. There's no, it's just conversation with my kid and seeing how school's going and what's going on in her life. And so I view that as an experience. Yeah, I do also like to be transparent though, you know, because I, I make financial mistakes. And I think that, you know, that's one thing to take away is that you don't have to get it all right. You don't have to get a lot of it right. And you have to be thoughtful about it, but you can make some mistakes and still be okay, you know, with the income that a physician's making. Absolutely. So a couple of things. One is I even make mistakes and this is my profession, right? And this is what I studied and trained, but I still make mistakes. I actually got blasted by someone in the community, Bill, that's his name. You can go check him out in the Facebook group. If you're not in it, join it. <laughs> financialresidency.com slash community. But Bill blasted me just recently because I'm self-admitted, I'm not a car guy, but I bought a new truck and yeah. that was really important to me. And it's kind of weird. Like why would a new truck versus an old used truck make a difference? I was driving a real small car and I just saw a truck rear end the exact car that I was in on the freeway. And we weren't going that fast. It was California traffic. Sure. And the guy jumped out of his car in this little tiny car after he just got rear-ended, ran around the front of his car, went to the back seat and pulled out his newborn. Oh and I God. was like, holy bleep. Yeah. That was scary. My wife was seven months pregnant. Wow. And yeah. I was like, I don't want to be that guy ever. Yeah. So not knowing that much, could I have gone and went and bought a used truck that got me from A to B that made it safe? Yeah, absolutely. Or could I spend the extra 10 it was about $10,000 to get a new truck with state-of-the-art airbags and the works, right? You name right. it, like this thing is a freaking tank. You know, <laughs> so I can you get to be the guy in the truck this time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm okay with it because that was important to me, right? And it was the experience of seeing that that put it in. I referenced it in the thing, like personal finance is personal. I'm not a yep. car guy. I don't really care about that stuff. But having something that was huge and safe was almost like extra insurance. So I prepaid 10 grand of insurance. I'm never going to get it back. I'm cool with it. Yep. Is it a mistake? Maybe. If you look purely at the numbers in the calculator, oh yes, that was a mistake. But now I've got peace of mind that I throw my four and two-year-old now in the yeah. back of this thing. And I'll drive it for another probably 10 years and this thing's going to have 100K miles and and I'll be like, great. You know, It'll probably take me even longer to get there because I don't really drive that much other than sure. to and from school and a couple errands. But 
you know, that was, that was important. It's all about perspective, I think. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I mean, vehicles are a funny thing, but in the financial independence community, I actually have a post that I'm in the middle of writing right now about this, but. Ooh, behind the scenes action. Look at us. That's that's right. We're moving up in the world. (laughs) But, you know, I think that the sword can cut both ways, right? You want to accomplish your goals, but you can get to the point where financial independence and the pursuit of it actually becomes harmful. And when I say that, what I mean is that when every single dollar that you spend is looked at under a microscope, and if you're the kind of person that really gets into this stuff and, you know, reads the blogs and reads the books and the podcasts and you listen to podcasts, you can get to the point where you get that microscopic with your view and say, well, gosh, this dollar wasn't spent going towards my backdoor Roth or in my taxable account. And so this was not a dollar well spent. And at the end of the day, we're trying to get to our goals, but you don't get to take any of that money with you when you die. And so you need to spend that money on people and on things that mean something to you. And in your situation, you spent it on a truck to protect your family. And I don't think anybody in their right mind, you know, would knock you for the reason that that was done. Would that $10,000 earning, you know, six or 8% in the market produce more value later on? I don't know, because they're ignoring the value of what that truck has provided for your family and for your peace of mind when you sleep at night or when you're driving around. So, you know, we have to be careful with just microscopically examining every single dollar without looking at it from a big picture perspective. Yeah, that's really well said. And I think, you know, happiness actually goes hand in hand when when you spend money on building or strengthening personal relationships. That's really what yeah. you did with your daughter country club. Now, some people could say, oh, that's a frivolous spend, but there's nothing like two hours uninterrupted time with your kids. No one can take that away in the memory that they'll do. Is there maybe a cheaper way of doing that? Yeah, but that's something that you guys do. And and again, that funnels into that 10% that you've set up for yourself. You mentioned something on separating spending from happiness. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really interesting concept. Can we jump into that for a minute? Yeah. So, you know, I guess the thought there is that spending money is not always linked to happiness. And the reason for that is because once you meet your basic needs, and you're starting to spend money in a discretionary way, you have to think about how that money's being spent. And unfortunately, most of those things, like we've already alluded to, aren't spent on experiences, they're spent on stuff. And so I separate that kind of spending, whether it's a house or a car or food on the table, if it's, you know, filet versus, you know, Alpo, you know, as discretionary spending that won't necessarily increase my happiness. And so That said, in that way, we have to separate our spending from our happiness, meaning that we can't expect it to lead to happiness, which is different than spending money on experiences or with family and hoping that that would provide happiness for us. Because I think what happens is in the the pit that people fall into when they finish medicine or they finish training for medicine and become an attending is that all of this stuff is going to fix my burnout and it's going to fix my clinical depression that I have and my secondary post-traumatic stress that I have from seeing all these terrible things. So I'm going to go buy the big house and I'm going to buy the cars and private schooling for my kids and the nanny and the whole nine yards. And the expectation there is that those things are going to fix their problems and make them happy. And so that's what I mean when I say separating spending from happiness. You know, those things are actually probably going to make your problems worse. You know, I don't know that more money is going to make you happier, but I can tell you that money spent on things that build debt will certainly make your problem worse. And a lot of physicians feel trapped in a high income job that they can't leave because their life is built to such a point that they need that paycheck. And the idea of living paycheck to paycheck when you earn 15 to $30,000 a month is just insane to me. I agree. And unfortunately, it's all too common to see that. And one of the things that I hear a lot 
is I did this X, Y, Z, right? Let's say pay for kids to go to private school to make it worth it, to make all of this worth it, all of the training, all of the tough night calls, whatever it might be. This is how they deemed it as making it worth it. In your opinion, if someone is listening to this and maybe they've already hit the point that they're paycheck to paycheck and don't find themselves happier, what would you say to them or what, what were some of the maybe tips that you would give them, in your opinion, to maybe see it differently, to experience something differently? You know, it's tough because once you've kind of dug that hole, it's, it is really challenging to get out of. And, you know, I've, I've certainly know people that are in that situation. And the biggest one that's really, really tough is buying a house, which is why so much of my talk on my website is trying to prevent these problems because it is so challenging to get out of it once you're there. You want to, you know, buy a $750,000 house and turn around a year later and sell it because you can't afford the mortgage payments. You have to come up with $75,000. And so it's a big challenge. But I, I do think that one of the biggest things is that people have to realize that it's okay. You don't have to compare yourself to other people. You don't have to live by other people's expectations. And so part of what's going to change the problem that exists in medicine is, is this new culture where people say, you know what, it's okay to be reasonable with my money and not look the doctor part and keep up with the Dr. Joneses. And so encouraging that person to say, Hey, you know what, there's nothing wrong with, you know, trading your car in and getting a less expensive car that's not a Tesla that will accomplish your goals or to consider cutting back on the private schooling and go public school or, you know, some of these things get so personal so quickly, it really is hard to have a conversation about, but I think encouraging them to realize that, look, we all make mistakes. We're all human. Let's just look at some ways that we can cut down on the expenses that you have so that you can start using that money to build wealth instead. But the conversation is often tough because it's such an offensive thing when you tell somebody, you know, that asks your opinion what to do differently. You know, you're like, well, gosh, I mean, it's so hard not to step on toes there. Well, the good news yeah, for I, you is you get to you get to sit back unless they're physically asking you. No one here knows who you are, right? You get to kind of play that role. And yeah. for me, I can't turn that off. If someone asks me my honest opinion, whether they're a client or not, I give it to them. And I'm coming from every ounce of me is wanting something better for someone else. Like I'm not telling you this because it makes me happy to potentially crush a dream that I don't know if it exists or not. Maybe you really love your home, but if you can't afford it, I'll tell you, hey, you probably should have not done that. But what's yep. done is done, but you can change anything going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's funny that you say that because in real life, people know me as a very straight shooter. And so I always tell people when they ask me questions like this, you know, I say, I ask a question in return. I say, do you, you really want to know what I think? And like, well, why are you asking? And I was like, cause I'm going to tell you my honest opinion and you may not like it. This is your out, you know, and if you really want my opinion, I'm happy to tell it to you. And so, uh, you know, most people by now at work know that that's my MO. And so if they want an honest opinion, they know where to find it, but they don't ask lightly. And I think the reason why is because, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's out of a place of love. I want people to know that when I encourage them or compliment them or tell them something they need to work on, that I mean all of those things. And so people never have to wonder where I am. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And so I completely agree with the route you take in, in dealing with those issues. I used to be like you, or I'd be like, are you sure you want to know? Because I'm about to say, <laughs> I'm at the point now where I'm like, you asked me. I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. I've done it enough, long enough. And there's no disclaimer. There's no disclaimer. But now I should say, if I don't know the person that well, like, you know, maybe it's one of my wife's friends that I've just met, I'll still give it. But if they've been around for any length of time and know me at all, I'm like, huh, your mistake. You just asked me. And now I'm going to tell you what I honestly think. 
Yep. <laughs> but I come honestly from a, a place of, I just want to help you. Like, sure. Do you really want to know the answer? This is my answer. Absolutely. Okay. So it's weird when you look down and you, and you see the time and you're like, wow, this is like an amazing conversation. I can't believe it's gone by that fast. You know, you have something good. So thank you so much for being on. Where can people, if they have not heard of your blog, and, and I have mentioned this and highlighted you on the show that I did with Nick True, which was the science behind positive financial habits, uh, which was a, an amazing, fun show that I did with my buddy, Nick. But I highlighted one of your articles in the Journal Club. But if they somehow didn't get there or didn't click through to your site or just don't know what you're up to, how can people find a, you know about your site and just kind of tell them what's going on? Sure. So my site is thephysicianphilosopher.com. And the idea there, we combine the ideas of wealth and wellness, which we talked a lot about today on the show. But, you know, I think that talking about money without having perspective can be kind of fruitless in a lot of ways. And so we spend a lot of time combining those two topics. So on Mondays and Fridays, you can expect predominantly financial topics from me. And on Wednesdays, you can typically expect a wellness Wednesday topic, I guess is what I call it, where the slant is more towards providing the, the full picture. And so that's one place they can find me. The other place, you know, eventually will be this book that I'm working on. It's currently in the process of, of being edited. And so once that's edited and we get it out there, that should hopefully be out in the next you know, three to six months or so. And then of course you can subscribe to the website and there are two options there. So you can choose to get a weekly update, which will send you the three posts for the week on Saturday morning, or you can choose to get the posts as they come out with each and every post. I like to provide variety because nobody likes getting more emails than, than is necessary. I'm, I'm no different than anyone else. So you can subscribe there. It's at the top of the main page when you visit the site. Yeah, I do the weekly one. I, I love the weekly recaps that a couple of you guys have been doing and putting out. It allows me to catch up on. I actually look at it on Sunday mornings because I don't do any client work Sundays. So work sure. six days and take Sundays off. That's now fair. mandated by the boss, my wife. So There's some other so, people that mandate that too. Yeah. I end up doing that and catch that, but uh, I absolutely love what you're doing. And, you know, thank you again so much for being on. I would love to have you back on to talk more about behavioral finance. This was such a blast. Really appreciate you having me on, Ryan. It's something I've looked forward to a lot and I look forward to hearing how it does. Hope you guys enjoyed the show with TPP. Here is our quick recap on the physician's relationship with money. It's incredibly important to decide how your life is defined because without a direction, when Pandora's box is open to you with more money in your hands literally overnight, what ends up happening to you and your spending behavior? It turns, it churns, it hurts when you step back and really start to pay attention to how you're affecting your financial future. And physicians must come to a point where they make a decision to have their essential needs met and then find a useful way for their money that impacts them in a meaningful way. We talk about the kinder questions and how, in theory, they help physicians develop a perspective around money that they otherwise wouldn't have. For you, if money were no object, what would you do? If your doctor told you you had 10 years left to live, not assuming unlimited wealth, how would you react? If you had 24 hours left to live and you couldn't go get a second opinion, Thinking back on your life, what did you miss? What did you not get to do? Who did you not get to become? Answering these questions can help any physician build a solid financial foundation. I go through this life planning process and exercises with clients at Physicians Wealth Services. And if you want to hear my answers to these questions, my wife and I answer them on air 
in a show that would aired about a year ago. That was what it's like to be married to a financial planner. So go check it out if you're interested. Working with numbers every day, we know money tends to be a factor for physicians when thinking about what could make them happier. But as we've observed, more money tends to put towards things that aren't really going to make the difference, not moving the needle really. More money, more problems? Well, just kidding on that. But making more money could actually increase your debt and make your situation worse if you don't create some kind of clarity around how you're actually going to spend money. And he alluded to two studies, one about salary benchmarks and the other about pay raises. The study about salary indicated that between $75,000 and $90,000 a year showed a noticeable difference in terms of long-term sustained joy or happiness. The study about raises indicated that people typically think that with an increase of pay of about 20 to 25%, that would be their magic number. And the interesting thing here is despite earning hundreds of thousands of dollars, some people are still living paycheck to paycheck because they've inflated their lifestyle. And this phenomenon, while I talk about it a lot here, is happening across all different industries. And because it tends to be a human problem, not just a doctor problem, it just happens that doctors are fantastic examples of this. We talked about how physicians could be happier with what they have, and TPP has a little differing opinion than I do, and he talks about the 10% rule. And the idea here is that whatever increase in post-tax take-home pay that you're going to get after training, take 10% of that and spend it on whatever your heart desires. This way, you're looking at things in a positive light. You get to really enjoy what that bonus feels like. And I, on the other hand, I talk to clients about how giving themselves a 50% raise and to use that difference on life experiences. When doing that, you spend on making your life happier rather than circumstantial material things that really won't last very long. All in all, spending on things or experiences that are important to you makes it more likely that you're going to become a happier doctor. And after seeing basically your pay increase dramatically, don't be the one holding the empty money back, so to speak, wishing that you did things differently. Start right now. Know what you want to do with your money. Many thanks to Physician Philosopher for being on. I really enjoyed our time together. Make sure to check out his book that just came out in February. It was amazing. So a quick community update. I'm maybe not the best with marketing the podcast. I really just try to create great content for all of you to increase your financial acumen and build a strong financial foundation. So if the podcast has brought you any value, it'd be amazing if all of you could spread the word and spread the message by sharing the podcast with other physicians and their families. I'd love to increase our community this year, and it won't be possible without all of your help. Also, just a quick reminder that the Money Care Specialist podcast is it's actually growing a ton, and I'm continuing to enjoy creating those financial health assessments for the healthcare community. If you haven't heard a show yet, go check it out. Subscribe if you think it's valuable. I think you're going to find tons of value out of it. You're probably going to learn at least something every show. So go check it out, Money Care Specialist, and let me know what you think. Lastly, if you have an Alexa device, searching for our new flash briefing called Physician Finance Minute. It's up there. It's live. We've been going for a while. 
and getting lots of actual good feedback. And this is my daily digestible tip. Yes, daily. That will help you stay on track with getting your financial house in order in one minute or less a day. This content is very specifically designed to help keep residents and new attendees on track to crush their debt, understand their cash flow, learn how to invest, get the appropriate insurance, and gain confidence when it comes to their finance. It's completely free. It's literally a minute a day. So go check it out if you have an Alexa device. Hey everyone, listen up real quick. As your host of the Financial Residency Podcast, I am not an attorney, a psychic, nor do I play one on TV. I am so happy that you're here and that you are learning and getting excited about your finances. But you do need to know that your money decisions should be talked through with someone knowledgeable about your situation. That person is not me unless you're already a client, then that's a totally different story. So consult your attorney, your CPA, or heck, reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner to help you get on your feet the right way. Next week, we have a really interesting show planned with special guest Jennifer McDermott from finder.com. We go over several of the white papers on credit card fraud and how we as a nation are chronic overspenders. It's an awesome one. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.